Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This highly practical podcast series explores HR and management hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life people professionals. Brought to you by Actors Software, our aim is to build a better workplace for people. The HR Uprising is about collaborating and supporting each other to build the confidence and skills to rise up to each challenge and deliver real, lasting business value. You can find out more at hruprising.com or join our LinkedIn community. Now introducing your host, chartered psychologist, best-selling author, entrepreneur and speaker, Lucinda Carney. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast It's Lucinda here and thank you very much for tuning in. So this week I wanted to focus in on the reality that many of us are able to return to the workplace next week. And I know that some people are, some people aren't. Some people are saying we're going back to the office and it's going to be exactly the same as it's always been. Some people have said we're going to be purely home-based and some people are doing something in between. The reality is that it is going to feel like a change for everybody either way, because most people, well, we've all been working at home during a pandemic. There's been times when we've had um, commitments, family commitments. Some people have found it really difficult. Some people have absolutely loved it and embraced it and don't want to go back. So whatever happens, it's going to feel different because the likelihood is it's going to be some form of hybrid workplace, unless an organisation is going to force everybody to stay remote or come into the office. Most of the people that I'm working with are going towards a flexible hybrid approach where people are going in certain days of the week and um, maybe for team meetings or for certain purposes. And that is going to mean it's a little bit more complicated to work out how to collaborate with people because it just isn't going to be the same as it was when it was in the office, but it's also not going to be the same as it was when we were all at home. So With that in mind, I have been working with actually a few clients on this area. One of them has been particularly inspiring in that they have decided to totally embrace this as an opportunity. So rather than going back, they went out and spoke to all of their people and asked them what they wanted and positioned it in a way that it was going to be their choice as to where they worked, whether they worked in the office, but they wanted to make base themselves office based, where they'd have a desk and all the things that they'd had before whether they wanted to be purely home-based, where they'd get a pure home-based setup, or whether they wanted to be flexible, where they'd get a little bit of both. So they'd be able to hot desk, have a locker um, and have headphones and things like that to to work remotely. And uh, the interesting thing is 80% of people who have responded have opted for flexible and probably 10% office and 10% home. So yeah, that's a classic bell curve, isn't it? What they've been doing is working out how to manage this and make it successful. And they're going to run that as a pilot in there. But certainly having worked with their people, the, the people are so, so positive about having having the choice, being consulted. And I noticed there's an article in this month's H, um, Harvard Business Review, which talks about making sure that something is individual centric rather than rather than institution or organisational centric in terms of what we do next. And I think that is key because individuals have have many, many cases kept businesses going, have been highly productive in these circumstances. So the last thing we want to do is lose these gains and we need to embrace these because some people, let's face it, can't wait to get back to the office. They want the the social side of it. They want to be able to compartmentalise. They want to have that 
you know, maybe get out of a, a, you know, an environment which is too too small or not conducive to working or productivity, whereas others would be happy if they never had to go into an office again. And they've experienced the ability to work remotely, which previously they didn't. So it's an interesting time. So clearly, most of us are in this position. We're in the same position ourselves with our organisation. It's how do we engage and move forward in a constructive way with our people? And I've come up with 10 points I thought might be useful for you to think about if you're in this position yourselves, which you may well be. So my first point, I alluded to it before, as I say, this, what I would consider to be a a role model organisation. What they did, they started off by consulting people and asking them what their preference would be. Would they like to be um, purely home, purely office or flexible? So I think consultation is important because whatever happens, it's all about it is making something a change. It's about getting people's buy-in. And if anything is imposed on others, even if you think everyone's going to say, I want to be flexible, then somehow they, people feel that they've been taken for granted and you don't take them with you. So once you've consulted, get an idea of what people's preferences are, then obviously let's do our best to manage them You know, in the context that whatever happens, we've got to do the best for the organisation. And that's one of the points I raise in a moment. The second point I would do is actually get your managers to just think about their own mindset. So if their own people are going to want to work remotely, how can the managers embrace that? You find that depending on individual managers' levels of comfort with technology or their management skills, because let's face it, working remotely has actually made quite a lot of line managers question their ability to manage. It's really brought that into the fore. It's getting their managers to think, all right, how could you, if we look at the things that have been typical pain points in this circumstance, where people have said it's really hard to train people up, for example, or it's hard to induct people, or they might think, well, everyone's got to come in for a team meeting. Challenge managers to think about how they can embrace people's location choices or preferences using technology. You know, okay, many of us want to get back and get, you know, have some social and be face to face. But do we have to do it as frequently as we might? Could we run things just as effectively using technology? The other thing I'd say is let's all remember what it was like being an individual who was the remote person phoning into a team meeting or any kind of project meeting where you were the remote person. We were very much out of sight, out of mind. And you perhaps you'd lose the will to live, really, wouldn't you? You couldn't really get a word in edgeways when people are chatting and having the in-jokes. So you felt very much not part of something. I think that would be one of the things if we wanted to really challenge the way we do things would be, could we effectively run hybrid meetings, training sessions where some of the people are face-to-face in a meeting room, let's say, and some of the people are remote and still include and make those just as inclusive. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges for organisations to consider how can you do that. Now we've all got used to putting our cameras on. Is the ways in which the, you know you could have individual cameras as well as collective cameras? Don't know, but those are some of the things that maybe technology can help with. But certainly, I would challenge line managers to make sure that they haven't just got two paradigms. Which one is the office paradigm, and the other one is the at home and the you know everyone at home paradigm. I think how could we embrace a hybrid paradigm? in an inclusive fashion. My third point is about highlighting interdependencies. So 
one of the areas, if you do decide with your organisation that you want to be individual centric, which certainly is advisable, it's making sure that then you you communicate with your staff, all of your staff, the fact that they are part of a bigger ecosystem. So by ecosystem, I think it's always helpful for, you know, if you as an organisation are being kind enough to let people you know, work where they want or giving them a higher level of choice, let's say, than they had previously, that's great. Um, what we need to make sure is that they still use that to feel loyal to the organisation as opposed to detached, because the last thing you want is for people to be disengaged. So for me, the organisation I've been working on this, we were talking about really highlighting to people that giving them the choice of location was about putting their needs and choices at the centre of the organisation. However, if you view like a concentric circle, they also need to be aware of their responsibilities. So, you know, with choice becomes responsibility and they need to be aware of the team needs, also their customer needs and of course the business needs because we're only going to be able to maintain any hybrid workplace if it works for the team, customer and business, if it's sustainable. And that links into win-win mindsets. Regular listeners will know that I'm a bit of a Stephen Covey fan. I trained on it a lot in my 20s. And he's one of his um, habits is think win-win. I think that's really, really appropriate in this environment. So getting people to consider is really about setting up win-win agreements, which is what Covey thinks about. So if you have a member of staff who's such, actually, I only want to come in once a month. That would be my preference. That would make a great deal of, um, that would really help my home circumstances then it's thinking, well, how do we make sure that we think win-win in terms of the people that you have interdependencies with? And it might be that actually this person has a high level of interdependence with somebody who is office-based and they need to find different ways of communicating or collaborating or sharing uh, information. And it's it's going to feel different from what we've been doing over the last 12 months because of the fact that there's going to be a difference in the position where people are choosing to be in different venues, potentially. Um, It's also where managers and individuals, they could get into a position where you're thinking win-lose. So let's say, imagine there's a manager who just prefers having everyone in the office. Maybe it's one of these people who feels that they just like to see people, you know, encourages a bit of presenteeism. So how could you challenge that kind of manager to be more trusting and not to insist, let's say, that everybody has to come in. Let's say I've said my preference is to work remotely and you've said I can and I don't I prefer maybe to come into the office once a month. But this manager would much prefer me come in once a week on a Monday for a specific reason. Challenging those managers to think actually is that win-win if you're forcing your requirements on others and how can they be more flexible because the thing with win-win agreements and this is very much what Covey talks about is that if we if this new way of working doesn't work for people it will lead to attrition and the businesses that do this well are going to win absolutely the businesses that do hybrid well because there'll be people I was talking to someone the other day and they said that a number of their colleagues had been told that they were going to have to go back to the office and they felt really depressed about it. I thought, well, they'll be polishing their CVs really quickly, won't they? So we have to be individually centric on this. It's got to work for the bigger picture. But um, the whole point of a win-win agreement is making sure that it wins for both the business, 
and the individual or the manager and the individual. And if both parties feel like they're winning, so both of their needs are being met, even if there's a little bit of compromise here and there or flexibility, but fundamentally the individual doesn't feel they're being bullied or coerced or they'll miss out on development opportunities, but if they're not in, then we're going to get much more out of this. So we've talked about win-win. However, we shouldn't be naive that everything is going to be dead easy. We say, yeah, work flexibly and it's all going to be perfect because there are challenges already that people are finding out there. And it's going to be important to talk about those. And so the business that I'm working with, 80% of people have, 80% of people have chosen flexible working. Well, that's great. But what does that really mean? What happens if all of these people decide that they want to work from the office on a Friday and there's not enough hot desks? Um, you know, how do they all book into a meeting room if they're trying to do a, a hybrid uh, meeting room with some at home and some in the workplace? There's, there's lots of things also that when you start talking about the nitty gritty that people are concerned about in all organisations that I'm dealing with, where it's the irritations of different kinds of presenteeism. So whereas you might have had presenteeism in the office where people felt they couldn't leave before others, you do hear people now who are working ridiculous hours because they feel like they've got to appear to be visible from their desk all the time. Let's say there's other things where you hear about people who are really hard to get hold of because their diaries um, appear to, because they always have their, if they're using Teams or something like that, their status is always set to do not disturb. So people say, I don't know when I can contact people, whereas if they're in the office, I could see if they were with somebody and I could walk around and talk to them. Or other people saying that I'm just in back-to-back Zoom meetings and these would just go back, you know, on and on and on. So there's lots of logistical sort of behavioural, it's not productivity, but it's almost the way we manage our time um, and our presence issues that are out there. And I would really recommend talking about some of those and being open about those, really trying to get away from this presenteeism piece and saying that people should be visible you know, managing their status or visible in various ways. People need to be, be, in my opinion, going back to this whole idea of a win-win and responsibilities that we have our, you know, we've got to be responsible for those that we work with. My sense is helping people realise that in a business, most of us are interdependent. And there are three things that make a difference to how we operate with others when we're interdependent. One is the location. Are we in the same location as them or not? I.e., can they get hold of us or see us easily um, or talk to us face-to-face easily? So that makes a difference. Second one is our availability. Are we working the same hours or you know, is our diary back-to-back and, and chocker with other meetings so that they can't get any time in the diary? And the third one is our responsiveness. So are we somebody that if they you know, send us a message on Slack or uh, teams or whatever your uh, Skype, whatever your system is, that we respond in an appropriate way so that they know or say, even if you say I'm in a meeting. And that's really about the way individuals take responsibility for their interdependence. And so therefore, these are the sort of things we need to get people to realise that if they are going to have a choice and have a new flexible way of working, which maybe they didn't have before, the responsibilities are greater and we need to take responsibility for our own well-being and timekeeping. So maybe block time out 
to be available for others or to have a lunch break. So for our own well-being or for our availability with other people, that is about planning. And that's what I think is probably the bigger thing that comes out of this is we're just all going to have to be better planned. When it comes down to meeting rooms, we're going to have to think ahead. You can't just rock up and pick up a hot desk because there'll be one there. We need to communicate and plan time in diaries and stuff. I suspect that's going to be the way in which flexibility is going to need to work, which is kind of ironic when you think about it, because you might think flexibility is just you know deciding what you want to do this morning. But actually, you might decide what you want to do this morning, but the chance of you being able to get a hot desk or a meeting room is unlikely unless you decide that you want to do that three weeks in advance. So flexibility might actually end up meaning more planning, I suspect. But what I'm really saying is explore those challenges now, get people to talk about those things that are bugging them. um, And then people can resolve them locally, come up with team ways of which or team etiquettes. That leads me into my sixth point, which a team etiquette could also be, you could do something like that at a a business level. Consider something like a behavioural charter or a list of do's and and don'ts, because what people need is clarity. And, you know, you've always, if you, where you think about the managers who are really worried about letting people work remotely, so this out of sight, are they actually doing any work, even though it's been fine for the last 12 months and they've been productive? Those are the sort of people who will be worrying that, you know, because you're able to um, work from home, maybe you're actually looking after your children at the same time which, okay, in a pandemic when there's no schools open is acceptable, but isn't acceptable in a new way of working world where schools are open, but you're working from home. So some of those things, maybe you have to be really clear about whether what's acceptable and what isn't. Uh, It might be about, you know, what are our rules around being responsive, being accessible, about sharing our diaries, about the professionalism of our working environment, um, how we, about our willingness to go into an office or not go into an office. So a behavioural charter is probably quite a good way where we've said about that challenges by exploring the challenges, maybe saying, okay, well, what would good look like? What do we need to avoid? And then put them in some sort of document or agreement, which then you can manage people against actually. And it means that everybody understands what good flexibility looks like or good hybrid working looks like. On to my last few points. Number seven is performance management. So the reality is people need people always needed to know what was expected of them. But if we're working remotely, and I've said this all the way through the pandemic, but even more so if you're going to go to a hybrid working model, then people need to know clearly what their expectations are. They need to be held accountable against results-based outputs rather than time at the desk type output. So therefore, the reality is managers need to be better at agreeing KPIs, objectives, OKRs, whatever that is. And I would say putting them in a system, I would would definitely recommend that. That's one of the things that many of the businesses we've worked with have found really helpful. If you have got a system like Actus, then you can make sure that both parties can see the objectives that are in there, know what's expected. They can update progress against them. They can carry out remote one-to-ones. All of those things can be managed remotely and you've got a digital footprint of it that gives people that structure wherever they are even if they're not face to face. I would say it's still a journey for people so even though we're going well we're going back to the workplace or even if we said well we're going to carry on doing what we've done for the last 12 months it is still going to feel like a journey and maybe 
you want to say, well, let's try this new way of working. So say we'll try this in the next six months and see what happens, treat it as a pilot so that at least you've got the opportunity as a business to tweak things and you're not automatically, I guess, changing people's contracts as to where they work. And that becomes complicated where there's HR aspects to it. If people suddenly say, well, I'm going to carry on working at home. So now you need to pay my travel when I come to the office because there's lots of other HR challenges there, aren't there? The businesses that I've seen do this, they are doing it as a pilot and they are saying that therefore it's it's exactly as it was. Your contract is still the same. And the fact that you've got your choice is uh, therefore it's your choice um, to come in and hopefully travel as it would be before and equally when they're people are saying well are you going to pay for my heating they say well no because it's your choice you can come into an office which has got heating so they're not getting sucked into the contractual bit I do think there's going to be some pain there for some businesses uh, because you do then have people start to take things for granted don't they whereas all of a sudden they've been working from home they expect to have their rail card paid for um, if and that's basically it's pretty expensive in many parts of the country so remember, emphasize it's still a journey and I'd suggest maybe pilot a new approach rather than plump for something so that you can still review and revert if you want to. In terms of people's mindset, this is my point. Although many people might say this isn't a change, we've done it. I think this is still a change because there will be people with levels of anxiety about going into an office at all. So they've, they've actually become very comfortable with this way of working. So reminding people of something like the change curve, I've talked about that, the transition curve, it's known I've talked about that on previous episodes, you can go back and check those out. But you know, people might well go through those emotions of resistance, say this isn't going to work. You know, I can't possibly hold a team meeting virtually or a hybrid team meeting. Or they might go, this isn't going to work as in I can't go back into an office. So you know, helping people understand the natural emotions as we are experiencing another change here. And the other thing is to inspire them about that is find best practice in your organisation. This is my final point. I've heard some really brilliant stories about how people have had success about remote inductions, about uh, which one of them, that's in, in, induction and training are the two things that I've heard people have the biggest challenge. But I've also heard some really inspiring success stories about how people have planned it. One I heard the other day was where they were saying that they, rather than doing, which would previously have been a three or four day you know, immersal in um, something where everyone would be in a hotel and you'd be face to face for a week, what they've done instead is they diarised two hour Zoom topics, they'd built the content, um, different people were delivering it. So it was a sort of programme of induction, all done remotely with associated materials. And actually the beauty of it was they were able to record the Zoom meeting. So they've ended up with more sort of collateral, which means people can review it. They can go back and remind themselves um, of something that they've been told. And actually they've also got induction collateral for the future. So their programme is probably better uh, than it would have been before. So that's quite a nice one. So look for areas where people have really creatively you know, recruited people virtually or done things differently over the last 12 months and it's really worked and make sure those are celebrated. Undoubtedly there will have been challenges and the certain things where people feel would be better face to face but there have been lots of successes. Find those and make a way of sharing them in your organisation. So those are my 10 steps. Let me quickly remind you of them again because they probably didn't feel like 10 steps when I've been going through and chatting as we've gone. My first one is consult. Make sure it's people's views and opinions of it make sure it's there um if they feel like it's come from them consult as to what you're going to do and get buy into it the second one is 
challenge managers to think about the individual's preferences rather than just their own in terms of, and and also just the organisation. That said, get managers to think about it. When we talk to the individual, get the individual to recognise that they are part of a bigger ecosystem. If they are purely selfish, then uh, the ecosystem isn't going to work and therefore it's not going to be sustainable. And that leads on to point four, which is everybody for this to be sustainable needs to have a win-win mindset and be realistic when they are thinking win-lose with other people. In fact, I didn't mention it in here, but what Covey talks about, to have a win-win mindset, you need to have the courage to think about your own wants and needs and to present those. And you also have to have the consideration for other people's wants and needs. And it's only when both of those are met that you end up with a win-win. My fifth one is don't sweep existing challenges under the carpet. Remember that there are issues with presenteeism, with diaries, with Zoom fatigue, uh, with not being able to get hold of people um, or people being too busy. So some of those are about how well people manage their diary and it's probably about planning. So I think those are worth thinking about right now. Take some of those outputs of those and consider building something like a behavioural charter which is how we operate or how we interact with each other around these new ways of working, because that gives clarity to people about what is expected. And therefore, it means that you can prevent performance issues, I guess, through lack of clarity or people um, people interpreting things in a way which isn't, isn't the, you know, the way the business would want them to. Number seven is performance management. You can't do this really without results-based outputs. So we do need to get better at making sure that individuals and managers are on the same page with what expectations are. Use performance management system to help that can be a really great way of having structure. And if you want to talk to Actus, then do get in touch with us and take a look at the Actus performance management system. We worked with loads of people on our virtual approach um, and how to use it to be better virtual management. Number eight is emphasise it's still a journey and be prepared to use it as a pilot because that gives you a get out clause um, in terms of if things aren't working to tweak it and for you for the fact that you are learning as you go. Number nine, remember the change curve. People will have fixed paradigms in some ways, so they might need to link to that. And finally, make sure those wins are celebrated. Share those ideas, find those ideas of great induction, uh, great recruitment during a remote environment so that people realise that things are possible. They get ideas and inspiration from colleagues of what's really possible. So that's it. Hopefully that was of interest and possibly useful. I'm going to put those 10 points into an infographic. So by the time you listen to this, you should be able to follow a link. Uh, If you go to hruprising.com, you should be able to follow a link and there will be an infographic for you to download just to remind you of those top tips as well. All right. Hopefully that's of value. Thanks so much for tuning in to the HR Uprising this week. Just to let you know from next week, which is our close to our two year anniversary since I did my first HR Uprising podcast, which is quite exciting. I'm going to be launching a new series where I'm working in conjunction with the HR Independence. Fabulous group of people there. You've heard from we did a previous episode on that and they are going to come in and do a series of expert HR topics, I guess is the best way to do it. They've they've done the research much and they knew much of it already on a range of topics from how to handle a grievance to what to do about data protection, IR35, how to how to recruit people. And they're basically a series of HR specialist topics called HR's Roll In, 
where we talk about the HR role in those specific areas. So I think those of you, I know I've got lots of listeners who perhaps are starting out in their HR career or starting out as HR independents or perhaps taking CIPD courses. I think those are really good sessions. As you know, my background is more learning and organisational development. So I needed to go to proper HR experts for that. And so you'll be hearing from Ruth, Mary and Katie um, on and off over the next few weeks on those on those series. So I'm really looking forward to that. All right, that's enough for me. Thanks again for listening and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising, proudly brought to you by Actor Software, the joined up performance and talent management solution. You can access links to any of the information or resources mentioned in the show via the podcast page at www.hruprising.com. If you like what we do, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and leave a review. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising. 